0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, Jeremy here with Simple o Life, and welcome to episode number three of the Simple o Life podcast. Today we're going to talk about photography. We're going to talk about some of the high level, some basic theory, the idea behind photography. What is photography? I've got an answer that when I first started thinking about it, it actually made a huge difference, and I believe that's what helped me the most when I was learning how to take better photographs. And then we're just gonna talk about some practical tips, different ways that we can manipulate things, control things, go through some of the technical aspects of our cameras, and hopefully, if you're fairly new to photography, and you wanna up your game a little bit, you'll have some things to play with. And remember, in this day and age with digital photography, ultimately, once you buy the camera, it's free to take photographs, right? You can just take them and and delete them. there's a, I did wedding photography. I was a full-time photographer for two and a half years. And I remember when, when we'd first start shooting weddings, I'd hang out with my photographer buddies and you know, your first or second wedding, we did a technique called spray and pray, right? So you literally just go, just take as many photos as you can and you hope something turns out. And as we went on, I think I, I ended up photographing about 70 weddings altogether in my life, but you can be a lot more selective. I mean, obviously, When you're doing group shots, there's going to be people blinking. So you're literally just putting it to like fully automatic and and hopefully you get a picture where everybody's got their eyes open. But when you get more into the controlled shots, you know, I don't have to take so many because I know what I'm doing. And the experience, the practice that I've had of controlling settings on the camera, taking that photograph, I already know how it's going to turn out because I've done it hundreds of times before. So that is truly the beauty about digital photography. And I I think we're actually in an age right now. I personally think that we are desensitized to great photography. Uh, When I really got into photography is when I was a kid. Uh, I did terrible in school. I couldn't read very well, mild dyslexia, and I loved National Geographic. You know, the best part about school for me was my science teacher, my art teacher, and the library because they had magazines with pictures in them. (laughs) And I remember, you know, flipping through National Geographic and seeing, you know, these old tribes in Africa or just these incredible canyons with some guy rock climbing and the sun setting behind it. And I remember just staring at those photographs. And to me, those things had such value. Just the actual image itself. I was like, this is incredible. And I always wanted to learn something about that. Like, how did that happen? What, What did that guy do to take that photograph? Now, obviously, as a kid, I I never took any photographs because everything was film when I grew up and we weren't allowed to, to use my parents camera and my parents did take a lot of pictures. And uh, that's the one thing I find nowadays too. I truly believe that there is so much lost because we don't print our photographs. Uh, one thing that recently when we were moving all of the stuff out of storage at my parents' place, bringing it home is we took all of our photo albums back home. And it was incredible. The kids flipped through there and they probably spent four hours one evening just sitting on the floor looking at photographs. And we used to take a ton of pictures. I don't take that many anymore, but it's incredible. And so uh, one thing I'd strongly encourage you to do and i'm trying to do this more in my life is get yourself a photo printer i'm not talking about uh, printing pictures of your knives if you want to hold on to that that's great but the pictures that you take of your kids your family your friends doing stuff concerts events print those photographs at least some of them and then put them away because you know we upgrade our phones all the time we upgrade hard drives all the time i even had a whole bunch of photographs for my kids when they're babies on cd and only a few of my computers will actually recognize that CD now. I mean, none of the laptops that I have have a CD drive in them. And I'm like, man, I got to get these printed because who knows how long this digital storage is actually going to be relevant or even last. So one tip that, that I strongly suggest you take away from this, and this really has nothing to do with how to photograph the things that you make. We are going to get into that. But print more photographs. There's something about holding a picture in your hand and looking at it you know not having to swipe this way or that way it's just incredible and i found a lot of i find a lot of satisfaction when i go through my phone i'll send the the images that i've taken of our family trips or the kids birthdays i send them to my computer and then from there i print them into my photo printer Really, really satisfying. So that's one thing I would like you to take away from this. Print your photographs. Now, I actually got into photography uh, through my wife. She had taken darkroom classes. I actually built her a darkroom in our basement. Uh, it was funny because that was one of the first times I ever tried drywalling. And even though this little tiny closet, it's actually probably, well, it's probably three times the size of this little podcast studio I made for myself. But um, we did this thing. We, we painted it flat black and it had one of those red lights in it. So it was a very, very dark room. And even with that red light and it being dark in there, the drywall looked terrible. I mean, my mudded joints were so ugly. I thought I had it good, you know, you know, when you're sanding drywall and you got all the dust on it, you can't see the detail and the nuance you throw paint on there, even flat black paint, and it just makes your, your mistakes pop. So after making my wife a darkroom, that's when I decided, that's when I kind of got interested in photography. I was like, that's kind of neat, but that's also when I decided that I would never, ever do drywall because it's just not my jam. Anyway, so my wife was into photography. She'd taken some darkroom classes at Sate and, um we had a, we bought our decent film camera and I remember seeing what she was doing and I'd kind of look through her notes as she would take classes. They'd, you know, do a class where they'd talk about the aperture and they'd play with the aperture and, and write notes and then develop the film and then look at that film and see what it was like. And again, this was before digital photography was anything that you could buy. Um, so we were shooting with the Canon and Elan seven, I believe it was, was a film camera, still have the camera. It still takes great images. And, I remember when we finally got her a, I think it was the Canon 20D, uh, first digital SLR that we ever had. And that's when I really started playing around with it. I thought, can I can I borrow your camera, honey? Can I take it out and start messing around with it? And we buy like the 50 millimeter, the nifty 50. Uh, absolutely. If you want to learn photography, that is one of the greatest lens you can ever buy because it allows you to play with all the aspects that allow you to control the light as well as the look of the image with the depth of field. We're going to get to that specifics in a minute, but... I remember, I I don't know where I heard this or read this or or thought about this. I'm not sure where I saw this. But this one thought is the one thing that helped me the most with photography. And that is this. Photography is light. If you think about that, and if you noodle on that for several days, photography is light and apply that to the images. Next time, maybe if you don't really understand, it's like, what what the heck are you talking about? I challenge you to do this. Go to whatever magazine you're into, whatever you like, or if you look at a, a advertising post or something that's got a great photo on it, look at that and say, okay, what is the light in this photography? When you start to do this, you'll start to realize, oh, okay, I kinda see what they're doing here. They got this. Look where the light's coming from. Look where the shadows are. When you understand that photography is light, it really opens up and shows you what you need to control to get what you want. So, when I was a photographer, my, my main passion was fashion photography. Uh, the biggest reason I think I felt like that had the most room for creative expression Obviously fashion photography can can be all weird and stuff But I had some of my work published in some magazines. In fact, if you go to the my website simplelife.ca, I'll see if I can find some samples of some published work and, and you can look at that stuff if you're interested But I always liked fashion because first you had the camera to play with right so I could adjust all my settings I could play with all of my lights And then you had the model, so you could control and manipulate him or her, you know, just the expression they can give by how their shoulders are, which, you know, which way their hands are pointed. It was just incredible. And then you had the clothing. Typically, when you're doing it, you know, you're working with your clothing designer and you have certain amount of say. As as to what you're going to do, or you'll see what they want. They'll be like, okay, I, I worked with one designer and she had these dresses and I said, okay, so with this, we're going to use this set. I'm going to use these lights. We're going to do it here with that. We're going to go with something completely different. So that was another creative element to play with. And then you had the makeup, right? So obviously, I didn't do the makeup, um, but that was another area. So the thing I loved about the fashion photography is that there are so many different creative areas that could all be controlled independently that came together to make the one thing. And I loved that about it. Now, at the time, I was working for all the agencies in Calgary. There's two main ones. Uh, But part of the problem is that Calgary is not known as a fashion mecca. Uh, The one that I really loved working with, they ended up moving to Seattle. They moved their office to Seattle. And then there was another one. They offered me a job in Toronto because they were closing down their offices in Calgary. And ultimately, I thought I could have a full time job, make decent money as, as like a studio photographer. So it wasn't freelance anymore. It was like a salary job. I'd have a steady paycheck, but then I had to live in Toronto and I wasn't really interested in that. So I I didn't go for it. The long and short came to be that, you know, to pay the bills with photography, I kind of took whatever. I I shot weddings. I photographed weddings. They were exhausting and I didn't like to book them all the time. Otherwise, my entire summer is gone uh, taking wedding photos. And then there's a lot of these weird magazines, little niche trade magazines and these magazines would call me up and be like, hey, this guy invented this weird thing. We want a headshot. And so I'd take my lights and go to his warehouse and boom, boom, you know, send in the pictures, get it back. And it just sucked the love of photography out from for me. And you know, I talked about this a little bit in the, um, the first episode of this podcast. But photography was kind of like that. And it was, it was going down that road. I still love to do it. But it was, getting, it was hard to get paid for the part of it that I liked. But during that time, I mean, I did get a lot of work printed. I I got a lot of decent jobs. I I got quite a few jobs for food magazines, taking photos of dishes, which was a lot of fun. You know, you've got this one French onion soup that needed to be showcased. And uh, the chef brings you one. You go in there right before the you know, the restaurant opens for the day, say like one or two o'clock or something like that. And you set up all your lights and a nice, you pick a table in the middle of the room, you know, it depends on when whether you want to be the close to the windows or not. And you'll literally just spend an hour taking pictures of a bowl of soup. Uh, more often than not, the chef would make you that same dish and eat it with you. And it was really, really cool. I got to eat some incredible food with some really high level chefs because, you know, we did this thing and it was going in this magazine and blah, blah, blah. And then he made one for you. And they always did that. And I think it was a sense of pride. It was kind of like, yeah, you make this thing look good, but you need to know what it tastes like, right? That's what it's all about. And so that was absolutely, those were my favorite assignments to do other than photo, I mean, fashion assignments. Um, but it was hard to make a living doing it during this time. I also ended up getting sponsored by pocket wizard, which is a company that makes, uh, trigger systems basically a radio trigger system for camera flashes so when i would do my shoots i had five camera flashes uh i think i had all five more the canon 580 ex and then i could control them with a pocket wizard so essentially i had this one little um hickey on my camera uh, a transmitter, and then I would put each flash onto a receiver. And it was really amazing because I could actually adjust the intensity of each individual flash from my camera. So I could turn this one up, turn this down, and, you know, you can kind of control the rim lighting, the, the backlink, whatever you want. Um, actually, one image that I used all five of these Flashes aren't. It ended up getting me uh, mentioned in Photo Life Magazine, which is a Canadian magazine. It was the, I believe it was the August, September 2010 issue, Ones to Watch. And it was a top 25 emerging photographers in Canada. And so I did a photograph of a friend of mine, actually. And we were out on the road. We went outside of Rocky Ford, Alberta. Really quiet road. I wanted a paved road, but one that wasn't busy. And I took my mom's, it was 1956... Thunderbird, I believe. My dad had it restored for for her birthday. And uh, I literally just threw all my camera gear into the trunk of this convertible. We went driving down. We found a nice spot. Took the top off. Set it in the ditch. Set all my lights up on the road. We'd take some photographs. And then anytime any car came, it was kind of like kids. There's a Canadian thing. You know, if you ever heard somebody saying, car... It was this thing that happened in Canada where kids play hockey on the streets, and then when a car comes by, they yell "car," everybody stops playing. They pick up the hockey nets, move them to the side, let the car drive by, and then they can put the hockey bat, hockey nets back up and keep playing hockey. And so we literally we'd be shooting, and then if there's a car coming behind me, she would go "car," <laughs> and we'd pick up all these studio lights, move them to the shoulder real quick, let the guy go by, and then set them up again. But it was so much fun. But again, with with this photo, I'll, I'll put this photo on my. um this one in particular called "Red," and in this photo, I actually used five lights and two of them were on my friend the model to keep the you know to illuminate the front of her because we were shooting with the sun in the background and that's a really interesting thing when you kind of see this photo nothing really stands out but when you actually look and if you try reproducing this photo without a really good flash um I have the sky nicely, uh, like, underexposed so that it's a nice blue, but yet you can still see her, right? Like, typically, with without any external flashes, that sky, to get that color, she would just be uh, a silhouette. She would just be black. there would be completely shadow-covered on her face. So I used some uh, of these little pocket wizards and some uh, camera flashes mounted off access to the camera to kind of kill the sun. So what do you to call it? We said, oh, yeah, we got to kill the sun. And then I used three of them to actually illuminate the front of the car. And so, with this image, um, there was very, very little post-production, and ultimately, the image that came right out of my camera was a usable image. And it really taught me the value of being able to control different light. And in, in this time, what I was trying to do was add light. Now, another way that you can control light in easier... And probably more accessible to most people is to try to uh, take the light away or subtract the light you know when I was doing wedding photography often you would get uh, you know you go meet the bride in the morning and and you know the mother's like oh this is a perfect day there's not a cloud in the sky and it's gonna be beautiful and sunny this is gonna be great for photos and I'd say, actually, this is the worst possible light. And she's like, what do you mean? It's bright and sunny. And, and I said, well, that's a very harsh, harsh light. And at the same time, you'd sometimes, you know, you you'd go meet the bride and they're at the salon getting their haircut done, their, their makeup done and all this stuff. And it's kind of not raining, but it's overcast and a little bit gray outside. And she's all down and sad. And she's like, oh, these photos are going to look terrible. I said, actually, you know what? You could not ask for better light than what we have right now. He's like, what, what are you talking about? I thought you wanted it to be bright and sunny. I said, no. I said, if it's bright and sunny, your skin is going to look really harsh. It's going to be hard lines. It's going to be like real harsh shadows. I said, your skin is going to look so soft and so smooth. Uh, the shadows are just going to be gorgeous because of this heavy overcast. And again, that has to do photography is light. So with photography being light, what we want to do is learn how to control, manipulate the light, whether it be adding light, taking light away modifying the light so that we can use it to our advantage. Now, let's talk in the area of product photography. I think that's what applies to a lot of makers. You know, if you're making something small like a knife, uh, maybe it's clay pottery, uh, hand-knit goods, carved things. I-, I mean, we get into larger pieces like furniture. It obviously becomes much more difficult to control the light because you're lighting much more, a larger area. But for small things, I think one of the easiest ways uh, to get great photographs is to start with a good light source and control it down. Obviously, the sun, right? Have you ever gone out and taken one of your knives? Knives are very difficult to photograph, especially if they're shiny ones because I mean, you know, you'll have the the blade will be super bright and then the handle will be really underexposed. And for that stuff, sometimes I'll do a little bit of lightning in post-production but ultimately if you can kind of control and diffuse that light so say you want to take a, a picture of one of your knives on a tree stump right it's out in the forest it's a you know nice foliage around and it's bright and sunny outside if you just stick that knife on there and take the photograph yeah it's going to be fairly easy to do but it's also not going to look it's not going to look good it's just going to be like okay well cool there's a picture but if you take a bedsheet you know, mounted on a two by four frame and stick that over between the the knife and the sun, you would be amazed at how much more rich and how warm that photograph looks. So I think when you're getting into to photography, one of the best ways to kind of control your light and to play with that is to reduce the light right? Uh, knock it down. Lots of different ways you can do this. I mean, you can buy professional pop-up things. I've got a lot of them. Uh, I did a car shoot once and and the company actually brought in a huge scrim. So it was like this, uh, this frame and it was basically like this canopy material they put over top of the car so that we could photograph it out in broad daylight, but we wouldn't have any harsh, harsh light hitting it. Um, but really simply, you know, if you're just getting into this, just try messing around with stuff. You know, you can take something like a bed sheet. Try putting a bed sheet and you obviously want to make sure that you don't have like bright sunlight right behind your subjects and it kind of looks like it's in some weird shadow place, but even go into the shadows of something, right? You know, if you're, you're taking and uh, if you can get like behind a shadow so that it's nice, even light, like, you still have all that power to work with, but it's not harsh. The more direct the light is the harsher it looks and very few things look good with really harsh harsh light Typically, we want soft lights. We want to kind of control and soften that light as much as possible For small stuff, I've even taken a cardboard frame, so just kind of cut out a picture frame shape with some cardboard and put white tissue paper, just tape it on there. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not overly robust, but it does an amazing job at softening that light, And, and that's something when you just start playing with it. One thing you may have heard, too, people saying, oh, window light. a photograph with the window light and that is absolutely true and a lot of that is because typically window light isn't direct sunlight now if you've got direct sunlight coming through your window that's not what people are calling window light typically they're talking about you know it's sunny outside but the sun isn't coming through that window you've got a diffused light you've got indirect light coming in and that's a nice soft light so some way of controlling the, the light is going to help you a lot when you're taking great product photos. And the same thing, too, with people. If you're doing portraiture, you know, if, a lot of times what I do, if it was really, really sunny out, great place to go in, in downtown settings, we'd go into the back alleys, you know, behind these restaurants and stuff, because typically the sun wasn't shining straight down there. We were fully in the shade, and we still had the power of the light. We still were well illuminated, but it wasn't harsh. And also, you got some really interesting textures back there, interesting backdrops, you know, fire, ladder escapes and all this stuff, but thinking about that, softening the light, controlling that light, avoiding indirect light that was a similar thing too, is that there's a certain look when you have a camera right on your flash and you pop it. And there's a, you know, there's very, very few fashion photos where that's kind of the thing. It's, it's kind of a trendy thing. It, it becomes popular and then goes away, but mostly you want to get the, the light off the axis of the lens. So, you know, the lens pointing straight at the person, you don't want the light pointing straight at the person. You want to come in from the side, you know, maybe a little up above. Oh, one thing I used to do was really interesting when I wanted to learn fashion photography, because I'd walk through the malls and I'd look at all the, posters that they had at the stores. And you look in the person's eye, the model's eye, and you can see where the light was very often. You can see what kind of light, what shape it was, where it was positioned. And what I would always try to do is figure out the lighting before I looked in their eye. So I kind of look at the shadows on their skin, you know, the, the way that the, the light was shaping their face. And I'd be like, okay, there, 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 there. then like, okay, I'm pretty sure he's got this one here. Obviously, the one behind you, you can't tell in the eye. It's like, okay, you've got one directly over top, maybe a little bit behind. And then there's one from her left uh, shooting a little bit of rim light on her shoulder or something. But then when you look in her eyeball, you can tell, okay, yeah, he had one light camera left, you know, a square light or whatever it was. And it's really interesting when you start looking at that stuff. Even when you're thumbing through the, the ads on, on in a magazine or on television or newspaper, have a look in people's eyes and see if you can tell where the light was. Very interesting. And also that will actually teach you a lot about portrait photography. So we've just talked about bringing down the light as one possible way to control it. Uh, Another thing you can do is to add light. and this gets a little bit more complicated, uh, definitely gets more expensive because now we're dealing with adding some type of a light source. And when you're talking about things like product photography, obviously that doesn't necessarily mean expensive. Um, Sometimes a flashlight kind of put five feet away just shining behind something, a knife or something. And when you kind of think about the little nuances that that does, like a little tiny light hit. They call it like a a ring, a rim light when it just kind of hits the edge of something, it kind of brings it out from the background. Like if you had a knife sitting there and and you just had one light straight overhead, it'll be kind of very, just like mono looking. It'll be okay. Yeah. There's a flat image of a knife. Whereas if you can kind of have that knife and maybe put a light going underneath it a little bit. So it has a little shadow and you can kind of see that, Oh, that thing's actually resting up just a bit from the backdrop or or the light behind kind of hits the spine of the knife and just leaves this nice light line on there. Then all of a sudden it kind of gets more dimension to the image, right? It's not so, here's a flat flat image. And even for yourself, you know, if if you want to mess around with this stuff, I I strongly suggest just take your smartphone, okay? You don't need anything else because you're going to see the details regardless of what type of camera settings you're using. But put an object down and just start photographing it. And then maybe put it so that you're shooting into, kind of in the direction of some natural window light. See what that does. Now flip it around, shoot it the other way. Now take a flashlight and set it on your table and shoot it this way. Obviously, you got to keep in mind if you've got a super hot flashlight with a very focused beam, it's going to do one thing. Now, if you were to say put a piece of tissue paper in front of that, you could knock it down a bit. You know, just try these different things, and when you start to see the difference that it makes the more you realize that a great photo is all about how it's lit. And that's, again, coming back, photography is light. That has been a game-changing uh, a thought that whenever I'm taking a photograph, I think, okay, what's the light? What is the light in this image? Because that is what's going to make this good or bleh, just another picture. Now, typically when we're talking about adding lights, you still want to use some type of a diffuser because we'd already mentioned that really like direct light is very, very harsh. So, you know, when you go to studios, I mean, I had a lot of studio gear. Um, Sometimes I'd go shoot in other studios and they had like thousands and th- tens of thousands of dollars worth of lights. And we never just took a light and shone on the talent, right? I mean, it was always diffused, whether it was, you know, an Octobox or, or, you know, all kinds of different ma- methods and ways to do it, soft boxes, umbrellas, all sorts of different stuff. But you still want to kind of soften up that light a little bit. Now, there is one way that's very inexpensive to add light. And this, again, is another experiment you can do. And that is just using bounce light, So say again, we're going to kind of set up, you know, maybe the kitchen table, you could get it near the, near the window and you've got window light coming in. What I'd like you to try to do is get a big piece of white paper, or if you have like a big piece of foam board, perfect, get that and then put it so that the light coming through your window or whatever your light source is, bounces off of that and just kind of move it around, kind of articulate it, change the angle up and down, side to side, and just notice how that affects your image. You know, if you're doing portrait work, a lot of times um, outside, if you're shooting, say, you had a neat brick wall with some texture behind it. Often, the only thing I would use is a big white bounce. They call it a a big bounce, you know... Uh, bounce sheet or whatever, and it was incredible. It just you could put it underneath the chin and it would kind of remove that shadow. Um, you put it overhead and it kind of adds some shadows, some depth to the eyes. Um, put it right in front and it just oh, it's incredible how something as simple as a little bit of bounce light can affect your image. And again, something you can do super super cheap. If you want if you want to learn how to take great photos of your kids, do this. Get some of these things. Get a big piece of white foam board and put them kind of, you can't have them like right in front of the window, because usually you'll have a hard time exposing for them. But you know, get them there and then just bring in a piece of white, get it close to them. And you'll notice a huge difference when you just have a white piece of paper close to the subject matter. It's incredible. And so that's another way that we can add light. And that's actually very soft light. We're not... Technically we're not adding any light, we're just bouncing or redirecting light using that light to our advantage. Alright, so we've kind of touched on ways that we can actually control and modify the actual light itself. Now we should talk about what your camera does to deal with the light. It actually doesn't control it, but it deals with it and interprets it differently. One of the first things I would strongly suggest you do. If you're shooting with a DSLR of any type, any kind, take it and switch it to fully manual mode so that you're controlling the shutter speed, you're controlling the aperture, and that you're controlling the ISO. So the ways that your camera deals with light, it's those three things, shutter speed, aperture, and ISO. Shutter speed, obviously, it's self-explanatory. It's how fast the shutter opens and closes. So if you have 1 600th, that's for 1 600th of a second, your thing will be open. It's like, boom, boom obviously that's suitable for a very bright day and the brighter it is outside, the faster your shutter speed can be. The darker it is, the longer you want to hold your shutter open. Now, you get into issues where anything under like 1 40th or 1 30th of a second, very hard to hold unless you're on a tripod and even as such, you're going to get motion blur, right? And sometimes you want to work with that, you want to play with that. If you're trying to photograph a car and pick up its speed, uh, you know, common trick is to just keep locked focus on the car and just kind of keep dragging your shutter speed, and make it longer and longer so that you're getting a blurred background, but the image itself is tack sharp as long as you can, as long as you can track it fairly accurately, uh, or children coming down slides, right? Sometimes you can, you know, you hold the shutter open a long time, bring it down. Then what I've often done is just hit it with a flash right when they're at the bottom, boom, blow that out. And now that part will be locked in super clear, but you've got this motion blur behind them. A lot of fun things you can do with that, uh, but that's one of the methods that your camera uses to control the light. It's with how, how much time it opens and stays open before it closes again. The next part is the aperture. And to me, this is the more fun, more interesting one. The aperture is basically just the size of the opening that the light is entering the camera. Now, this is measured in f-stops, and it's one of these weird things, I don't know why they do it this way, but the larger the aperture number, the smaller the hole. So, if you have a lens that's got a big huge hole can let a lot of light in, it's gonna have a smaller f-stop number. Typically, some of the smallest you'll find is an f1.2, f2.8 is really excellent, that's a really nice usable one. Anything from like f4 and above, you're very, very limited on what you can do with your depth of field uh, and even with some low-light photography. So when we talk about depth of field, that is literally just the part of the focal plane that's in focus. And the bigger the hole in your camera, so the smaller the f-stop number, the smaller that little focal area is. I used to have a Canon 50 millimeter F1.2. And I remember shooting a campaign for an advertising agency and they're shooting these uh, screws, literally just a pile of screws. And when I was close, a- as close in as I could get a decent focus and I was shooting at F1.4 and it just looked a little bit better, but I could get so that the dead center of one of these screws was in focus. But by the time you got to the outer parts of the top of the fastener, we're talking like a little, I think they were quarter 20 machine screws. They were completely blurred out and it was incredible. So I was dealing with about an eighth of an inch focal plane where only what was in that one eighth of an inch would be in focus. And that's the power of, they call it fast glass, very large aperture, very small f-stop number. Now, if you want to learn how the effect of aperture uh, works, one thing I strongly suggest is go ahead. If you've got an SLR camera, most manufacturers make a inexpensive version of the 50 millimeter so it's a fixed focal length there's no zoom you can't zoom in zoom out but usually they'll have an aperture of about f 1.8 which is really really wide when you look at these lenses it's like a big it's it's like a golf ball size hole through the lens and that allows you to really start playing down with that really low f-stop number, really shallow depth of field. And then you can experiment and see what that does. You know, with my 50 millimeter f1.2, if I was shooting at f1.2, even for portrait work, it was a little bit too shallow, right? I could have their eyes in focus, but then their ears would already be dropping off quite a bit. But at the same time, if you're shooting a group, say four or five people, and you're standing 10 feet away, if I was at f1.2, they would all be in focus, but the picnic table five feet behind them would be nicely starting to blur. And so, you you know, you've got all this power. You don't need all of it all the time, but it's fun to experiment and play and learn so that you've got all that to control. And that is, again, one of the ways that your camera controls a light is with how much light it actually lets in, how big of a hole that light enters, and that is the f-stop. And the third area that your camera controls light is with ISO. And ISO originally had to do with the sensitivity of the film. And in the digital realm, it has to do with the, the sensitivity of the sensor. Because obviously, you know what? We're not recording to film. We're not burning that light image onto film. We're kind of picking it up in a sensor. And your ISO is your sensitivity. So the lower the ISO, the less light it's going to be putting on. Typically, you want to shoot as low of an ISO as possible. The higher you get, the more grain you get in your image. Uh, whatever camera you have, if you get into the settings and just go up to the absolute highest ISO you can get. Uh, take some photographs and then zoom in. Uh, take the exact same photograph with as low of an ISO as you can get and zoom in and you'll notice a difference in quality. Uh, way more, no, it's a grainy, it's what they call it, grainy. Kind of looks like sand, more pixelated, especially once you start zooming in. So typically you want to shoot with as low of an ISO as possible. Uh, the other thing to this is that sometimes you'll be doing a shoot, and I've had a few fashion shoots where they're like, okay, you need to shoot at at least this ISO because we want this look. There's a certain grainy, if you want to add a certain uh, a vintage look or a certain amount of attitude, but that, again, is kind of getting into the more fashion artistic side of photography. But that's another area that you can use to control your image. And when you bring all these three things together, when you say take your DSLR and flick it to fully manual, you learn very, very quickly what does what. You know you'll learn that okay i can i can shoot wide open with my glass so at a really really high um aperture very small uh, f-stop number but i've got to have my shutter speed really quick because i've got a massive hole and it's really sunny outside and i hold that sh- that shutter open for like one sixtieth of a second the only thing you're going to see is white because there's just way too much light it just was overblown so now we can okay i want to maintain that aperture i want that really shallow depth of field but i got to really speed up my shutter speed because if it's a bright sunny day outside and I'm at f1.2, I got to be shooting about one eight thousandth of a second, like, like super fast. That way I'm not letting so much light in and, you know, we're just getting enough to actually record the image. And the opposite of that, say you were out on a hike in the morning and you've got this beautiful sunrise and you want to capture every single detail. Typically, landscape photography, you don't need a really fast lens. Some, sometimes you do if you want to isolate, you know, a leaf or a flower or something. But say you've got just incredible landscape that you want to take. It's a sunrise and there's a farm in the background, the rolling hills and the wheat blowing in the, in the wind you know, you're going to want to shoot that at a really small f-stop number. You want to close that hole down because what that's going to do is that's going to put everything in front of that lens in a nice sharp focus. You want to be able to look at the wheat and see that also see very clearly the sun, the farm in the background. You don't want any of it isolated. You want everything, everything tack sharp. So what you would do in that application is you would go with as high of f-stop number as you could make that hole that is, that's letting light into your camera as small as possible. But when we do that, we need to hold the shutter open longer. So if we're at like an f16, fi think some lenses go up to like f22, you might have to really slow that down, put it on a tripod. Sometimes you'll shoot like one eighth of a second or one full second. And, it's and you've got this thing and it's let the right amount of light in based on the exposure. You see, when you're manually controlling your camera, Exposure isn't a setting. It's not something you can adjust. If you're setting it to different modes where uh, you know the camera's looking after part of it, you can then adjust your exposure. You can overexpose or underexpose. But if you're shooting in a full manual setup on your camera, there is no setting for exposure. Exposure is the result of the combination of shutter speed and aperture that you came up with along with ISO. Exposure is basically what you get when you add the shutter speed, the ISO, and the aperture together. And even with exposure, sometimes I'll take a photograph of a knife and I'll just have it nice and evenly exposed. And I'm like, I don't know, it's okay. Well, try overexposing it a little bit. Try one, you know, try overexposing it a few different degrees and then try underexposing it a few different degrees and look at those and see which one of those you like, which one of them does a better job pulling out detail, uh, maybe in the blade, maybe in the handle. You know, when you, when you just start looking and consciously thinking of these things, it's amazing what you can actually learn, and it eventually just gets translated to your hands and your fingers. You know, when I'm shooting weddings, I'm constantly adjusting my aperture and my shutter speed, moving around, blah, 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 blah. and people always say, what the heck are you doing with your fingers? And I'm like, well, I'm adjusting my camera. They're like, well, why do you adjust your camera? I said, well, every little aspect I'm in control of. The camera's doing nothing for me except for finding the autofocus, but I also have that set up so it only focuses in one spot of the lens. That way I can put that spot on the eye, get the focus, and then you know frame up my picture and take the image that way if you really want to learn how to use your camera and how to how to get the most from your camera intentionally I suggest you take out your camera with it on manual mode And take photographs, but take notes of every single one. Now, typically with the digital stuff, it will store all that file, the EXIF information. Um, But even if you want to, so, you know, shoot underexposed, you know, neutral exposure, what your light meter would tell you is evenly exposed. And then, you know, one or two stops overexposed. Have a look at them and kind of write down the notes, write down the numbers and say, okay, this like this. And then what did you think about that image? Did it look better or worse than the underexposed or better or worse than the overexposed? overexposed. And it's this kind of, essentially, it's just the the cognitive connection between what the camera numbers say and what comes on the image, what the image looks like. And the more you play with that, the more you experience with that, you can kind of interpret it. You can see the camera settings and be like, oh, that's going to mean this. And ultimately, that is the biggest part that's, that, that's allowed me to be able to get pictures that I want to get, right? Instead of being like, Oh, I, I can't take photographs. I mean, photography is very, very technical. There's a certain part of it that's artistic, but actually, like, to get a good photograph, it is very technical, and it's a matter of settings. It's kind of like machining. You, you, you got some dimensions, you got materials, you got cutting speeds. It's very technical. You match all those things, you're going to get a good surface finish. Same thing with photography, but most people just don't break it down, and they also don't think that photography is light. So for a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, I've been mentioning the DSLR camera um, or even like a mirrorless camera, something like a a larger camera that you've got dials that you can control yourself. But if you don't have that, you can certainly still start messing around with this stuff and start learning about photography because most smartphones allow you to manually control different settings. You can even buy some third-party apps that will give you like representations on the screen so you can actually see which f-stop number you're at. You can actually see your shutter speed and then go in and Manipulate those, and again, do these same things. So try these things. Say, okay, this setting is at this. This setting is at this. This is at this. Take a photograph, see what you have, and see how that translated. You may look at it and say, I'd like that a little bit brighter. Well, now we know that we can either uh, use a larger aperture. Uh, a, a smaller f-stop number, or we could slow down our shutter speed, one of the two. They're going to give different results, right? Certain parts are going to change. But the more that you play with that, use that technique, that technical information, manipulate it to get the end result, that's that's essentially, that's what photography is. And it's so much fun to learn. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's amazing that if you just take, say, take a Saturday and goof around for a couple hours with this stuff you will learn so much and you will just increase by such a huge amount rather than just trying to be like, hey, let me set this uh, knife on something cool. Well, try just setting it on something boring, but still make it interesting somehow. Whether you bring in light, whether you withhold light, whether you get a shallow depth of field, you know, there's so many different things you can do. And ultimately, like I say, you know, it's free. You can take photos to your blue in the face and it doesn't cost you anything. A little bit of storage space, but you delete all the bad ones so. I would strongly suggest if you would like to to get your photos better you know, try that. And, and try learning more without getting into post-production. Because post-production is not where great photos happen. In my opinion, a great photo comes straight out of the camera. And again, I'll put on my website, simplelittlelife.ca. I'll show you some images I've taken. Uh, I'll put exactly what my camera settings were. I think I can find them still in the files. And then also what I've done in post-production. And most of them, it's very little. I actually don't own Photoshop. I've never owned Photoshop. I use Lightroom for a little bit of post-production. But typically, I want Want what I take to come out of the camera and almost be perfect. But that's a basic rundown of a photography from the camera's perspective, from the technical side of what's actually happening when you take a photograph. If you remember that photography is light and you think about the different ways to manipulate that light and what that results to, it's predictable. It's incredibly predictable and it's very easy to learn. So much fun. And you know, the one thing I really enjoy about making knives is that I also get a pull in my love for photography. It's like I, I make a knife and now I can actually try to take a great photograph of it Using all these things for my other passion, so it's a lot of fun. It's a great skill to have, and hopefully you picked up something from from this little podcast. I mean, obviously, if you're a seasoned photographer, uh, you probably know most of this stuff. And again, this is covering pretty much primarily the technical side of the camera, uh, and this is just camera. This isn't post production. Obviously, there's a certain amount of photography that even has to do with the lenses, w- with the placement of the lens, where what you're taking, you know, what lines are happening in the image to draw your eyes to places. To to the textures, to the colors, to there's so much that that goes on to make a great image. But then again, there's so many different types of images. But in my opinion, even all those ones, they need to start with the foundation of the technical side of the camera and how the light is recorded in your device, your camera. If you remember that photography is light, I think you'll be well on your way. All right, so that's pretty much the main subject matter of this here episode. I would like to leave you with a recommendation. This is a YouTube channel that I really, really enjoy, and it's a very raw YouTube channel. Uh, the name is called Forestry Forest, Reforest, and that's a guy, he converted a minivan into a, you know, the van life trend that's going on right now. I don't think he did it for those reasons. He, I think he did it just so that he can get out and actually do adventuring. Um, so he's actually started out, I, I think, a lot of his stuff doing the van stuff, When I first started watching, he was living in Calgary, and his channel actually goes way back. He's documented a lot of really long solo bike rides that he's done, like all across Utah and this and that. Very low-budget, rough uh, filming. I think he was doing everything with his cell phone. I think he's recently got a GoPro, but before everything was all with his cell phone, But, man, I tell you, it is great to watch. And I was actually shocked. I was always wondering, like, what camera is he using? I'm really curious about that. And he has a Samsung or something like that. I'm not entirely sure, but he's literally just filming with his cell phone. And they are great little, like, mini documentaries. I really admire what he does with cooking, too. He always has, like, a a little meal that he cooks up. And they look really good, but just straight up, honest, sincere. There's, There's no... No jazz. He's not trying to be anything he's not. Uh, Forestry Forest, really great YouTube channel. Really enjoy that one. I get excited every time he has a video come out. And I just kind of, I live vicariously through him. I watch him climb these mountain peaks. You know, a lot of them are like an hour two hours from my house. And I'm like, oh, I should go do that one. But I got to do it with Forestry Forest. Anyways, folks, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really do appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and hit me up on social media. Uh, probably Instagram is the best place. SimpleLittleLife.ca is my handle there. And again, you can check out my website, SimpleLittleLife.ca, where I'll put in some more information about photography. I'll give you a few examples of some of the stuff that I've talked about, and then the show notes will be there as well. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you have a wonderful day. Cheers.